Welcome to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast. I'm your host, Troy Hammond, and on today's episode, we're chatting with Andrea Vandermeer. Andre is the co-founder and head of platform for All Things Considered, which is a website for consumers to be able to find about the integrity of fashion brands and things coming in the future. Super fascinating chat. We're going to talk about sustainability. We're going to talk about the environment. We're going to talk about how we can build better things. And the reason why she's on the podcast in the first place is because I posted something one day on social media. She called me out on it. It changed my viewpoint. I thought about it for a long time and I was like, come on the podcast, let's talk about this. And so I'm really looking forward to this chat. Enjoy. Kia ora. Thanks for tuning in to the We Fucking Love Startups podcast, brought to you by Talent Army. Yeah, I'm from Wellington originally, so... Um this is home for me, saw the yeah, family, yeah. did a bit of work stuff. John and I have been traipsing about doing a bunch of different things. So, yeah. 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 I love John. He's such a good guy. He's hey? great. <laughs> yeah. How did you meet John? Um, it was actually through a mutual connection from my first startup. Yeah. And he was in the process of kicking something off that he had been toying away with for a couple of years, just on the side, like yeah. something more purposeful and impactful. Um, and um, got introed by Bruce from Putty, who I met through my time at Lightning Lab. Yeah. Um, and yeah, he's just sort of like, I think John might be interested to meet you because yeah. I feel like you've got some some cool skills that he might be able to utilise. So yeah. that was sort of how we how we connected. And yeah, what he was working on happened to be what I was passionate about. In a huge way, so it was perfect timing and everything, really. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. I love Wellington for that, or New Zealand for that, and, mm-hmm. and that matter, right? Like, it's so great, and mm. how just we can just get access to these people. I know, I know. It's, it's such a small, tight knit community, especially the startup community. Everyone knows everyone to a degree, yeah. Or they know that person's name or what they look like if they haven't met them. So yeah. it's it's quite cool, yeah. And how are you finding Auckland compared to Wellington? Uh, I've been there for nearly a decade. Um, so you're an Aucklander now? Yeah, yeah. I think the, the climate's nice. The climate change, not so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's um, it's, it's a different sort of vibe. Wellington's always home, really, though. I mean, it's you just feel like, you know, more people smile at you on the street down yeah. here than they yeah. do in Auckland. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I'm, so I'm from Melbourne, yeah, and nice. I moved here 15 years ago via the US and the UK for a few years. I haven't actually lived in Australia for like 22 years or something. Nice. But the same thing, I find the same thing in Melbourne that I do in Wellington. When I walk around the streets in Melbourne, people say, g'day, mate, and hi, and like smile and and nice to you. And the same thing here. And I think it's just because you you probably might know someone when you're in the streets, so you're a little bit more aware Mm -hmm. and you're walking, you're not walking, staring at your phone the whole time. And so... It's not like you're a stranger in the city. Like someone's probably going to see me that I don't. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, indeed. It's funny, we were rocking around yesterday. John's like, oh, it's this person. I was like, okay, like literally 10 people in the space of driving around the corner. That's just how it goes. So, yeah. yeah. I love his Instagram stories. He starts at his feet. Oh, I know. He goes up oh. into some beautiful scenery. He actually posted one on TikTok because we were doing a day in a life recording it with Natalie from Hatch. And yep. um, he did one and he posted it on TikTok and it did pretty well. It was like, you know, point of view, like, um, you know, oh, I need to add, you know, videographer to my CV. And it's just like, it's just real hacked. And he's going like this. It's just, like, it's hilarious. But um, he actually did pretty well on TikTok. TikTok loves random little outtake videos and things so yeah i haven't i haven't not um nailed tiktok yet yeah it's quite a quite a different beast but it's um 
it's it's a pretty cool user experience. I'm not going to lie. Compared to Instagram Reels, you you definitely feel between the two that um, Instagram Reels is you know Instagram's just trying to like catch up and yeah. You know, you really sense it because it's like I can do something way easier on TikTok, and it's just buggy and doesn't work on Instagram. Yeah, so well, just like, the just the subtitles alone, right? Like how cool the subtitles are on TikTok versus Instagram. Yeah, it's yeah, and just also like actually just applying them. Like on on Instagram, it takes a really long time. Like just the difference in you know the subtitles on an Instagram reel as a pop up that yeah. you have to go through and edit each word, whereas on TikTok it's a whole bottom screen. You got line by line, so you can. It's just so you know saves so much time. So the little things, but we no, we notice them as we yeah. are in you know using them day to day so yeah, yeah we're leveling up on the podcast we've got a, a marketing person coming in at lunchtime today who and she's going to be working exclusively on the podcast to like help us produce better videos and content nice. and the likes because it's yeah. a bit haphazard at the moment where i've got five minutes here and there or someone else in there yeah. and the team's we, got five minutes we're similar we've just had someone come on part-time who helps with content creation and strategy and because this is the thing right as a sole founder you you've only got so much time in a day yeah. not a sole founder but like you know i say sole founder in the sense that i work in auckland and john works in yep. wellington so we, we we're separate but together you know so um we find like you know it's all about finding the roles that are going to support what I do sort of day to day because John always says it's like 1.2. I'm the one and he's yeah. the point two. <laughs> yeah. So who's John, who's John that we're talking about here yeah. for the people that don't know? Yeah, cool, cool. Sorry. Um, we're talking about John Holt. So he um, uh, started homes.co.nz. He's done Kiwi Landing Pad. Um, he's he's just a boss basically. Just look up his LinkedIn for all of his, all of his yeah. history and his background. But he's um, And his Insta. And his Insta because he's hilarious and does yeah. lots of lots of interesting camera angles. Um yeah, so um, John and I co-founded All Things Considered together, yep. and uh, it's basically an, a platform for consumers to discover and have a say about retail brands they buy from yep. to do with sustainability and ethics. So we basically take what brands are saying about their ethics and sustainability direct from the website yep. and put it all on a directory so it's really easy for, for consumers to look through and compare not only what brands are saying, but also the certifications and um, you know initiatives and associations they're aligned with. Yeah. Um, there's a whole lot out there. We've you know we've got nearly 500 brands on all things considered, and about 200 um, associations wow. with more to add. Wow. So it just goes to show how vast the space is of sort of, and that's just in fashion alone. Um, we may expand further into beauty and other sort of verticals as well. Yeah. But yeah, so it's um it's it's a beast, and we are sort of we launched our beta probably a year and a half ish ago now, and yeah, it's it's had some really good early traction. Um, and there's there's the element of you know we at the moment manually sort of update the profiles, but soon enough we'll use AI and machine learning to to do that at scale, yeah. which will be really valuable from a data play as well. Um, and then the the other side of it is we. Um, enable consumers to up or down vote brands based on what they see. Wow. So instead of us acting as the authority like some other directories do saying, we've assessed what this brand is saying and this is the rating we give them, we're just like, we're not going to do that. We're purely a really, really high-level curator of yeah. the information and then enable consumers to actually say, is this good enough? Is the direction they're going and, you know, does it align with my values or, you know, do I need to find a brand that's doing a bit more? Yeah. Um, so it's a new sort of kind of concept. Um, and our point of difference in our USP essentially is that we're more of a, a place for consumers to take action, yeah. not just passively sort of, you know, use the information. It's like, use that information decide how you want to shop, but also tell the brand what you think. Yeah. Um, and we're in the process of expanding our voting to include reasons. So you can actually say directly to a brand, I'm downvoting you because 
these reasons. Oh, yep. I like that. I yeah, like that. So well, that, that for me, because if you're going to be doing upvoting and downvoting, mm. having the ability to not just upvote for a reason, not just downvote, but to be able to provide some context mm. around why, mm-hmm. I think is really important. Because then it doesn't become like a trash fire Reddit style, you know, like. 100%. Yeah. yeah. So you've obviously got a passion in this space. Mm-hmm. I, like, so did you, you started in retail? Is that how you sort of became aware of like what's good and what's bad and what works? Yeah, yeah. So I've been, I started on the shop floor when I was 16 years, mm-hmm. 16 years old. In Welly? And, um, yeah. So I was working when I was 14. My first job was Lollipops Playland. Um, What's Lollipops Playland? It's yeah. like a children's playland. Chip type thing. Yeah, chipmunksy yeah. type thing. It, yeah, I don't know if it's still around. I think there might be some in other parts. But, um, yeah, and I remember thinking how how um, little you get paid when you're 14. I was on $6.30 an hour, and it was $5 cleared in the hand. <laughs> so was, my first job was $3 Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's just... You know, thinking today, you're like, oh my gosh, it's just crazy. Well, my daughter just started her first job. She's 14, just yeah. turned 14, yeah. and she started, and she's getting $20 an hour. And so, yeah. It makes you a bit angry, doesn't oh, it? No, oh, I know. <laughs> I picked up golf balls at a driving range for $3 an hour, and if the golf, if someone hit you with a golf ball, you got paid $5 cash from that person for hitting you. And so Injury sometimes, pay. yeah, sometimes, wow. and you're like fully wearing equipment and stuff like that. So it wouldn't hurt so much, but it still hurt. And so sometimes we used to run into front of golf balls because we needed the money so bad. And so, yeah, three bucks an hour wasn't so much cash. Far out. That's crazy. Mm. So retail in <laughs> yep. Wellington. Yes. Um, and sort of moved between Auckland and Wellington for a bunch of different sort of roles. Um, and then I worked my way up to do retail operations and production for the menswear brand I Love Ugly, yep. which is um, was a really cool... like. What does retail operations mean? Uh, so it's just basically managing a bunch of stores. I was in charge of six stores, and at the time they had stores across three countries. Um, so, yeah, it was just basically managing all, the, um, all of the stores and staff. Yep. Um, and then production was a bit around... Um, uh, obviously just placing orders and things like that and the, the stock levels that we were going to order and, and what would be um, allocated to each store, um, which gave me a lot of insight, both having worked on the shop floor for many years um, and having lots of insight that we'd capture from consumers. Yeah. Um, and then also in my production role being like, I'm actually struggling to know exactly what these stores need now because I'm not in it anymore. Mm. And there was a bit of a disconnect and that's what drove me to start my first business. Um, so with literally no technical background or experience, I thought, I'm going to start a tech company. So that's what I did. Um, and so that business was called Seek Stock, mm-hmm. and it essentially was a feedback loop between store staff and buyers and designers. Yep. So a really direct way for them to understand in a structured way what um, staff were picking up yep. um, in their particular store about you know product demand, whether it was fit, style, quality, price, stock levels general product demand, missed demand. So yeah. what are people asking for that we don't have? That could be an easy add-on for us, you know. could be like, oh, people are asking for socks. We don't even make socks, yeah. things like that. Um, so, yeah, I did that for, for a decent chunk of time, hired a developer full-time. That was How old are you now? So 2016? Yep, yep. And, that, and we did Lightning Lab that year as well. Yeah. So we Lightning Lab cohort for that. So I'm 33 now, so that was however many years ago. Yeah. And, yeah. And so talk me through the process, like as someone, like as a young woman in New Zealand creating a tech company without yeah. a tech background, like, you know, yeah, it's, power um, to you. Yeah, it's it's interesting, I think. Um, and I thought about this the other day, I caught up with, a, with uh, an old mentor of mine from that first business just last week, and it reminded me of um, something she said early on about, um, I think it might have been a LinkedIn post that she said, but it always stuck with me, and it was always around being a, a, a woman founder. Yeah. Um. And she's like, I just don't even think it should actually be a discussion. It shouldn't be something where like, oh, you're a woman founder, so let's talk about it. It's like, yeah. 
you're you just founder. walk in there and you're equal and yeah. and that's what it is and and you you know you don't want to see yourself as any, any less than any mm-hmm. other gender or anything like that and that always sort of stuck with me so I'm like I just I'm going to be confident and you know maybe a bit naive at times but it's just yeah you just sort of if you're passionate about something you, you do it and I think it's more I think at that age and that stage it depends on your circles who you have around you yeah. of what support you have um and who is there to really fly the flag for you or who's going to be like I'm really worried for you right now which is great to have absolutely so, but at the same time it's that can be um harder to hear when you're already you know going through the throes of a startup yeah which is already difficult enough and you have people especially when it's family or something like that being like oh I, I don't think you should be doing this and I think you're making a mistake um that's cool but it's actually it takes a lot of mental energy to to choose to but I'm going to put that comment to the side and then put yeah. it to the side and I'm going to keep going um and I think slowly you find the people on the journey that are going to be more supportive of what yeah. you're doing um, and be really invested in it so I think the the circles that you have change quite a lot when you when you're in startup because you you just naturally have to because you yeah. need people around you that are supportive and more and more help so yeah did you find it lonely did you find that when you were definitely yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'm not gonna lie um especially as a sole founder like i had um tony my developer who was amazing we had a um, sort of part-time product manager um yeah so we we had a bit of a team but it's also it was, you know, majority, you know, me doing everything. And yeah. so we, we have, you know, mental meetings like, this would be really great if we could focus on this, this, this. I'm like, great, but who's going to do it? Me, I have to do it all. And it's like, yeah. it's like you have to really prioritize and pick and choose what you're going to focus on. It's definitely um, something that I have so many learnings from. And I think a lot of what I've learned from from that first startup has led me to be way better place for number two, especially yeah. having a, co- that was my, my major learning is don't do it alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's much better to have someone on that journey with you to hold you accountable, to um, allow ideas to, to flow more freely because, you know, you can't really think super creatively at times when you're just on your own, you need another person to, yeah. to help bring it all out. So, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent agree. Like I, mm. I found a bunch of companies and the ones that I did on my own, oh, you know, tough, tough, tough for the ones that I've done with people mm. and tried to find people that are like the opposite of me to give me a differing view on because I'm a bit renegade just it'll be fine let's just do it yeah. and my current business partner Dan is is almost black hat he's like oh I don't think we should do it and so we come to a, a happy medium usually yeah 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 I think you know that co-founder fits really really important so with John and I with all things considered we did founder vetting for I think three or four months before we made our business relationship official yeah what's founder vetting talk me through founder that. vetting is, is essentially just you know we think about if you're dating someone mm-hmm. you don't get into a relationship after week one you you take a few months to figure out is this someone that really we have similar values we align we've got the same mission we're going in the same direction you know it's kind of like dating it's so what did you do um we essentially just sort of worked kind of on a soft level talking about the ideas of what we're thinking um you know what we wanted to do did we have the same shared vision you know there were tweaks that were made to you know what John had had as the original idea, which was a lot broader. Yep. I said, let's sort of focus on fashion as a vertical. I've got expertise here and it's actually a huge problem. And I helped educate John around how impactful the fashion industry is yep. in a negative way on our environment and our people. Yeah. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. Yep, absolutely. That that definitely feels like the right sort of thing. So I was finding like, you know, I guess sort of not pivot, not pivoting the business, but sort of finding the direction and narrowing. You so you both felt passionate about it. So you both felt like it was something that was to yeah. you. That yeah, you I could mean solve. he's self confessed not fashion at all. <laughs> so he's like, I'm not the fashion part of this. Yet the original concept was more around um 
showcasing the impact and purpose of every public publicly listed company on the stock yep. exchange, um, which is obviously incredibly broad. So it was around just refining that a bit more um, into something that was uh, somewhere we could start. And that still is, you know, the big vision of of going broader. And yep. you know, why did he, why did he want that? Uh, he's he's very much keen on highlighting the purpose and impact of companies because it's not on the it's not on the forefront enough and it needs yeah. to be. It's essentially the the, the main point of it. Um, and I don't think companies are really held to account for you know what are you actually doing you know or are you greenwashing and 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 what is it that you're contributing yeah. for your people? What's greenwashing for folks that don't know that term? Yeah, greenwashing is essentially um, marketing in a way that can be misleading or not quite fully the truth, depending on what you're actually doing. There's actually a whole bunch of them now, a whole bunch of different terms like green crowding, mm-hmm. you know, all these things. So there's, there's a lot of them. Um, but yeah, it's essentially um, marketing in a way that's not actually true or you're inflating something to sound like it's much better than it is yeah mm. and so how do we know if people are doing that it's hard to spot um yeah. there's actually a really great site called greenwash.com mm-hmm. it's done by the changing markets foundation which i think is in the uk um and so for big major fashion brands you can look up um claims that brands are making that have been called out as greenwashing for example some people might not agree with this or know this but you know recycled plastic bottles made into fabric is greenwashing. Really? <laughs> yeah, see? Because you get that reaction. Yeah. So plastic bottles, when they're kept in bottle form, can be recycled over and over, probably to a certain point, but yeah. they can be reused in that form. As soon as something like that is put into a fabric, it's, that's reached the end of life because it can't then be extracted again and made into something else, especially because, um, you know, synthetic fibres, they take hundreds of years to break down if they ever do. Um, They're extremely problematic. You know, um, synthetic fibres are derived from fossil fuels. Um, So, you know, anything plastic is, you know, generated by fossil fuels, petroleum, things like that. So when you put that plastic bottle into fibre, you're not only preventing it from actually having a better end of life, you're taking another sector's waste stream and using it in a way. Wow. Yeah, so it's wow. interesting. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what – I need to process this yep. a little bit. So what can we do with that product then better? Like, So we, so that plastic bottle, okay, we can't turn it into my mm-hmm. my, my shirt here. What do we do? You said – you said having a better end of life. What does that mean? Yeah, so I think before we get to end of life, that's the absolute last step. We need to go way back to our consumption and how we consume clothing. Yeah. There's already enough that exists, um, enough clothing that exists in the secondhand stores to yeah. clothe everybody. You 100% called me out on this, right? So <laughs> I uh, I think I put an Instagram story up saying, hey, a few people have asked me about merch for the podcast. Should we do merch? Like seventy percent of people were like, yeah, 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 do merch, and then you sent me a really lovely message just saying, hey, hey, this is something you're really passionate about. You've seen so much merch in secondhand shops, and you've seen these, and it got me thinking. And I was like, actually, I don't want to do that. I don't want to like put any more stuff. Like I've seen lots of startup ex startup clients of mine mm. as I walk past the secondhand shop, their t shirt in the window, and I was like, oh, it's kind of sad, you yeah. know, seeing it that way. Yeah. And it got me really thinking about myself as a consumer mm-hmm. after that conversation as well. So I started like I had this moment where I looked at my wardrobe and I thought oh, fuck, <laughs> do I need all that shit? You know, mm-hmm. like I wear pretty much the same stuff all the time. Why do yeah. I need all these things? Yeah. I haven't been very vocal about like company and product merch, but I, I think I should really do a LinkedIn post on it. An example I'll give, I was out in Free For All yesterday. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. It's out in Porirua and um, it's basically, I think it's like two or 400 square metre um, sort of space that everything that is destined for landfill 
isn't it comes to free for all so yeah. it's things that are like the charity shops can't sell anymore because even charity shops have a shelf life so if you yeah. drop off a winter coat in summer it's probably not going to actually even get to the shelf because it's not in season so yeah. that's something really important for consumers is to if you are donating clothing to do it in season um, and make sure that it's in resaleable condition because anything that's not where does that end up you actually need to think you know I should take responsibility for everything that I am donating um, so free for all houses um, you know basically things that are destined for landfill and I was out the back sorting some clothing. John had a meeting there and I was like, I'm just going to, like, I'm not going to stand around and wait for him to make myself useful. I said, can I help? And so I was hanging some clothing from these yeah. bins to go out onto the shop floor. And then right next to me, um, one of the workers puts down five countdown bags of Cancer Society, um, you know, T-shirts that were done probably for a fun run or something. Mm. Like five bags of them. It's like, what do you do with those? So this is what still I mean. Still folded about, up in like. Yeah, they've still had plastic poly bags in them, some of them. Oh. So it's kind of like it's leftover merch and stuff like that. And people don't realize how much of a resource, or how much resource it takes to produce cotton, like the water that's used, the chemicals that's used, how, how much it takes to grow it. It frustrates me a lot when I see, you know, because I mean, if you created a, um, a brand T-shirt, for example, I, I did it for my previous business. Yeah. I got one printed. Never have I worn it again. It's kind of like, do we really need that? Or can we yeah. just wear blank tees and then do other kind of marketing? Well, yeah, definitely. I mean, like I got a whole wardrobe of there, like a, a yeah. thing of like Talon Army yeah. like, recruitment company yeah. t-shirts and hoodies and stuff that we give away to people and the likes. But it definitely got me thinking, mm. you know, and I think once you sort of eyes are start to open to that, you start to think about everything else. And I'm like, oh, man, yeah. I've, like my, my wardrobe now is like a, I've, I've probably thrown out a hundred different client t-shirts, you yep. know, that I've worn and then don't wear them anymore. So I throw yep. them out and cycle them out. Yeah. I will say, you know, I don't want anyone to think that um, they should landfill clothing, yeah. Um, because there are other options, and 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 you know, there's a bunch of sort of things we can do now that more and more is popping up, basically, and more options for us. So um, there's some really fantastic services. One is called And Again that I've used recently. So they and, and again and again and yeah. again. Yep. Um, and so they um, and there's a, there's some other ones that do it as well, like. Um, Regenerate, um, which is like a, um, a fashion thing in Auckland. Um, so basically they send you a tidy kit and you clear out your wardrobe and you send them as much as you can fit in this big bag, which is about 30-ish items. Mm-hmm. They pho- photograph it, list it online. So it's like an online thrift store. Yeah. Um, and then you get a portion of what's sold. So I've made like $120 on clothes that were just sitting in my wardrobe that I needed to get rid mm-hmm. of. Um, and there's things like designer wardrobe. So ways to actually get rid of your clothing in a way that's more responsible. Yeah. And then there's things like um, Apparel, which is an Australian company, but has recently come to New Zealand. Um, and they do textile recycling. So you can get rid of any kind of old sheets, blankets, clothing, shoes, handbags, anything except for, I think, polyurethane, because that's plastic that's harder to kind of deal yeah. with. Um, but yeah, so any kind of fiber you can recycle with them. Um, and they send stuff to you so that you can send it back to them? So I think they've, they're based in Onihanga. So they, they have sort of the, um, the place there. So they... Like certain brands have apparel textile collection bins. I know Ruby does. Yeah. Um, so it allows you to drop off any textiles. I don't know if Ruby will take only Ruby brand or any other yeah. ones. Um, and they also sort through it. So if it's if it's able to be resold, then they'll donate it before um, downcycling it. So it becomes like the inside of couch, yeah. you know, like couches and things like that. So they turn it into 
other sort of textiles and things that can be used. So, yeah. yeah. I've tried to be a lot better with my clothes, especially my kids' clothes, right? Mm. So my kids grow so bloody fast. They're constantly growing out of these clothes. Mm-hmm. And so I try and give them out to friends and family first that need, yep. you know, clothes. And then if they don't take them, I'll try and take them to a place where I can put them in, in, a, in a bin to be recycled somewhere. Yep. But a lot of those are gone, you know, and a lot of those places in COVID especially, like mm. they weren't taking clothes and like. So I yep. found it harder to do that. I'll also blow your mind about the clothing bins just for a moment too. So um, quite often, not always, but a lot of them are run by Save Mart. What's Save Mart? Save Mart is a, um, uh, there's a, it's like a chain of pre-loved sort of outlets um, and they're big, 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 like factory sized. You know, you go there and you're just overwhelmed by racks and racks and racks of pre-loved clothing. So when you donate into those clothing bins, um, there's a potential for Save Mart to make a profit off what you donate. People assume, oh, it goes to charity, it goes to people in need. Not, no, not necessarily. <laughs> wow. um, in order to get it um, into the communities that you want it to go to, drop it off directly to um, the secondhand shop, the charity shop, like the Vinnies or Salvation yeah. Army yourself, um, because that's got a higher hit rate of actually reaching those communities and you know other people reusing it and, and things like that. Um, and again, like I say, only donate things that are in season um, and good quality and resellable yeah. condition. If they're not, don't donate them because that burden then gets passed on to those shop owners yeah. and then there's zero visibility about what happens. Again, like with the clothing bins, you have no idea. I don't even know where these go, but I'm just happy to not have the problem anymore. But I'm saying just think a bit more mindfully about that that process of discarding your clothing mm. and a step back from that, think about do I even need to discard it or can I put it away for six months and maybe breathe new life into it or, you know, is there someone closer, you yeah. know, within my family and friend circles that might like it? Like the amount of clothing I have people come and give to me because like, I don't know what to do with it, but I know you're good with, with clothing and you're sustainable, so can you deal with it? And still I'm kind of still trying to cycle through everything, but I'm doing it in a really slow and mindful way because mm. I'm like any piece of clothing is a resource and, and um you know, it shouldn't just be binned or throw, thrown away and it can yeah. be turned into things, even even synthetic fibres which are harder to recycle. They can at least be downcycled with the likes of apparel and things like that. So, yeah, yeah. something for people to look into. Or just how you wear them, right? So I, after you said that to me, like as I said, it really was a bit of an awakening for me. Mm-hmm. And then there was, a few, there was a bunch of things that I just was like going to throw out that I just didn't wear or I wasn't going to throw out and I was going to recycle them. But then I just started thinking, well, maybe um, maybe I just don't know how to wear them. And so I started following some people on TikTok and Instagram about like just fashion, men's fashion, and then they would how to put outfits together and how to be experimental. And I was like, oh, I can actually probably use those now. You mm-hmm. know, like and exactly. now I feel like, yeah, yep. I just know how to use them and put them together and yep. try them different ways. And- yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there's there's so much inspo out there. I love following men's fashion on Instagram. I find it way more interesting. Like I think men have less of, you know, less kind of like top bottom to work with, whereas women have dresses. They've got all yeah. these different things. But it's so interesting to see that men can make such cool outfits out of just two kind of sort yeah. of like, you know, it's like, it, it, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's I think the era of men now is like they're really looking out for themselves, trying to be, mm-hmm. you know, a little bit more presentable and yeah. You know, especially yeah. in, the, in the tech industry that was known for black turtlenecks and black T-shirts or whatever. But, yeah. Yeah. So is that is that why you, 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 you spoke to John about starting this company? Was it that drive? Yeah. We're both sort of at a time where I think he had already sort of dipped his toes into starting this. Yeah. But he hadn't really got it off the ground yet and he knew he wanted to kind of focus more on something that was more impactful that had um, purpose and profit at its heart not just yeah. a profit business so he wanted something that that felt more impactful and would do good um, and I think along the way I'd, I'd learned throughout fashion I was very oblivious at the start 
no idea. I don't know what PVC was. I didn't know what PU was, polyurethane, you know. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize all of it's plastic. Like, you know, there's I think 60, 65% of all new clothing produced is synthetic or petroleum derived, mm. um, which is just blows your mind. Like lots of people don't even know that polyester is plastic. So if people can take one thing away today, that would be the, the one Stop thing. Stop buying polyester. Yeah. I mean, it's it's got its benefits in terms of um, how durable it is. It doesn't crease and things yeah. like that. But it's still, you know, buy your polyester secondhand if you can. And then look, if you do need to buy a new Look for natural fibers that you know are a lot kinder on the planet. Things like linen and organic cotton and hemp is a good one. Yeah. What companies out there do you do you respect in this space? Well, actually, on all things considered, we allow consumers to um, order the results by most upvoted and downvoted. So yeah. I'll leave that for people to look at and see what the people are saying. Well done. Um, I think that's probably the best thing to do. And if they want to go and vote for a particular brand that they love or, or think are on a great journey, they can do that. Um, alltc.co is our website. Yeah, alltc.co. Yeah, A-L-L-T-C.co. I think it depends on the size of business because people think, was oh, H&M that bad? It's like... They have probably the most certifications on our platform compared to any other brand, like it's 30 plus. Yeah. Um, so people are like, oh, they've got all these certifications, they must be good. But you think about, well, how much do they produce? What's their, what's their production? And that's kind of where it comes into play. So for us, we know it's quite difficult to compare an H&M with a small New Zealand brand. Um, and at the moment, everyone on All Things Considered is sort of, you know, just lumped together. But we know how important it is to separate those into size, size. Yeah. yeah, and then com- compare comparatively like that way. That's another feature that's coming soon because we think that's what's currently missing as well from yeah. from these other directories and things. Is like let's just actually be able to compare these small businesses and see benchmark them sort of against each other. Yeah, yeah. awesome. Well, this sounds really exciting. So, so Seekstock, you finished Seekstock in twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. What knowledge did you take into all things considered? that you were going to do better this time or you were going to try, you were going to get mm. – what what experience could you bring to the table this time? Yeah, well, funnily enough, a lot of what I built with um, Seekstock had a lot of parallels to All Things Considered in terms of that feedback mechanism, yeah. um, which also was what John was aligned on. So there was a really natural fit with that. Um, you know, some of our early designs sort of took a little bit of inspiration from what I'd built when, with that. Um, but, yeah, I think in terms of learnings, let me have a think um, – so many. Sole founder would be the main one, as one, I yeah. said. You know, it's it's very hard to do. Did you so when you like as a first time founder of Seekstar, how methodical were you about the preparation of the business? Did you just jump in and figure it out on the fly as you were going? Did you put a business case together? So we did Lightning Lab at the very start of um, of that business of yep. Seekstock. So. I was able to get some of the fundamentals from their accelerator yeah, awesome. program, which was yeah. really helpful. And then that allowed me to, you know, they pair you up with three mentors yeah. who I still am in contact with today. And then from that, I've got another one that helped me immensely. Um, so, yeah, I think what I what I learned from from that is that your community is really important. Yeah. Your network's really important. Um, someone's going to know someone that can help you. And, and people have been... Um, really open to helping i think it's that's what i really love about kiwis is that we're like yeah absolutely i'll, I'll have a coffee with you yeah and you just have to not be afraid to ask and and ask for help as well that was probably one thing is that i i maybe felt a bit shy to ask for help at the start are you um, kiwi born red random yes. yeah, yeah yeah i'm i'm dutch my back my background's dutch but yeah, yeah born born in wellington yeah yeah nice one yeah yeah i love that about kiwis they're like we're so great at helping if you ask. You yes, know. yeah. But yeah. there is like often on, there's a lot of trend on this podcast. So the, we talk about the tall poppy sin, you know, mm. syndrome a lot mm-hmm. because there is unfortunately a lot of that. Do you mm. do you find it's easier in your space in terms of environmental awareness? Or 
there are people at different stages of how aware they are about environmental impacts, climate change and things yeah. like that. Um, I think, you know, with Cyclone Gabrielle, for example, that's something that I think hit home for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, there's many people that are already very aware um, but I think it's like it's if it's not already mainstream, it will be pretty soon that this is something pretty serious. And, um, you know, we obviously need to all do our part. And it's not up to us relying on a corporation to do something because all of the all of the stuff happening, the amount of plastic and everything pr- being produced and whatnot, that's going to continue probably for a while until there's regulation and things yeah. that actually stop that. But in the meantime, what can you do as an individual yeah. is really the kind of the main question people should be asking themselves and, and wanting to educate because, you know, there is no planet B, as they say. <laughs> yeah. So I often chat with people about the environment and about mm-hmm. climate change and I'm a card-carrying member of we need to you know, fix this planet, right, mm-hmm. for our future generations. And so – but the, con- the constant thing I get is – well, we can't change anything in New Zealand. You know, we make up for zero point zero 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 one percent of mm. you know emissions, and what can we change? And so we need to do things, and we need yeah. to build things, and we need to help educate other countries. Mm. And so, how can we, as a nation, help with the carbon emissions and help with the, saving the planet? Yeah, well, I think people just need to realise that they do have an impact. You know, because when you think about a billion people saying I can't do anything, yeah, versus a billion people saying they can, yeah, and I think it's a lot about attitudes. It's like let's think about why you think that you can't make a difference or why you don't want to prioritize that. Is it because you're lazy? Is it, you know, what what's the reason? Like, let's yeah. just get into the psyche behind my, oh, I'm not going to bother because I don't think it makes a difference. And it's like, I just think that's a really defeatist mindset. It's like, yeah. let's be a bit more positive and actually impactful around what we can do. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I find that I, I <laughs> quite often find it difficult to engage with people that are like, but this, but that, and really defensive about it. I'm like... It's just it's it's tricky because you you want to be able to encourage people to do their best, but there's some people that that aren't really going to get there. They're not going to see that that's something that's actually quite crucial yeah. um, for them to change that behaviour. Um, I think there's definitely ways in which we can um, educate people in a way that's bite sized. I think that's the main thing is like getting people aware. Like so that trigger point, everyone will have it hopefully. Almost yeah. people have had it already to be like, oh, okay, so that's. I get it now. Like, there's something that I, they have come for me that was polyester's plastic. Yeah, I was like, what? When, when was the aha moment for you? Um, I think it's just having worked in retail and knowing, um, and and learning more about the supply chains and and all that goes into that, and yeah. and before we even see the finished piece of clothing, all the stuff we don't see that happens if you actually delve a bit deeper into what that all means and. You know, for example, from a people perspective, I think it's um, one in nine people in the world are employed in the fashion supply chain wow. or working in stores and things like that. It might be a slightly out of date estimate, but that was the latest that we've got. Um, and most of them are women um, in developing countries, not paid a living wage. Yeah. So who's actually making your clothing and how much are they getting paid? Yeah. Because if you're someone, if you're a feminist and you care about women, well, think about the clothes you're buying then and where they come from. This is a debate that I had with someone the other day who said to me, well, we can't change anything in New Zealand because it's all the third world countries who are too poor to be able to think about climate change and they can't care anything and they just have to do what they do, right? And I was like, yes, true, but we need to build products and build things so that we're more successful 
giving back to those countries, making those countries earn a living wage mm-hmm. so that they then have the luxury of money in their pocket to be able to try to care about the environment too because exactly. at the moment they can't, right? Exactly. All we can do is provide them an economic platform mm-hmm. to help them. And so that's what we can do by everyone saying, yep. I can personally do something about it yes. by being conscious about what we're buying. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's a weird, right, and the yeah. arguments that people have. And mm-hmm. I think it's just change fatigue. You know, yeah. we're, the world's moving so fast now. Yep. You know, if we go back 10 years ago, you know, being a female founder was such a huge relevant thing. Now, mm-hmm. like as we're saying now, everyone's just a founder, right? Like yeah, we're exactly. just founders. Yeah. And yeah. so yeah. now it's people are slowly getting their head around the fact that everything's moving so quickly and they can't mm-hmm. keep up and they're a little bit yeah. annoyed about it. Yeah. But fundamentally there's people like you that are out there and John that are doing the right thing mm. that you're passionate about. Mm. How hard is it to create a business that has a – social good nature to it. You know, like everyone asks me in recruitment all the time, I want to do something really good. For, I want to do mm. something for the environment. Mm. And I'm like, well, go off and do it. You mm. know, and they're like, no, I want to get paid $220,000 a year to do it as well. <laughs> it's a bit of a contradiction sometimes. Yeah, um, yeah it's it's interesting because, again, we're, we're – We've got people that get it straight away because they've already had that aha moment and they're like, I get this, that makes sense. You know, some people haven't had that yet, they might not ever. So it's like we're trying to explain how important it is to be more aware of our impact and all these things. And, and some people are, oh, yeah, but it's, a, you know, they just sort of, it's, it's not a major. But yeah. I think it's, again, about finding people that um, are already on that journey that will understand. And, you know, for us there's, um, you know, in terms of investment, like there's going to be a different route for investment. Yeah. Like it's going to be impact investors versus just someone that will invest in yeah. more, more profit business only, you know. So we, um, yeah, we find that's that's always a different sort of lens as well. But um, yeah. Have you are you are you at the investment stage or have you gone? Yeah, through we're currently that? currently raising some money. Yep. Yeah. Um, How's yeah. that in this market in a social? Uh, John's kind of leading that up more than I am. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's again, it just it's different because we're we're more for impact, and I think yeah. investors are really keen to know. Okay, exactly, tell me how you can define X, Y, Z. But it's like it's a little bit harder to do that for us in in some ways because yeah. it's it's less instantly tangible or obvious. Like we're going to reduce this by X. It's like we're we're building a community platform to drive you know shift in the industry and education so it's it's a bit harder to quantify i suppose um what is the nirvana like what is the absolute end goal uh we've done this you know what does that look like to you yeah um i think we um want to see both brands and consumers able to collaborate in a way that's really healthy and productive and that sees change so we see brands actually taking some action to change um you know for example we've had um uh, someone come to us that that stocks a certain brand that's listed on our platform and they had a bunch of downvotes and then they know this brand, they know they do local production and all these things and they, they came to me and said, look, I don't think that this is justified, can you tell me how this mm. works? And I said, yeah, we literally carbon copy what a brand has said on their website and then consumers are adding their sort of layer of sentiment of whether they think that that's good enough or signalling that they want that brand to do more or they want to see more from that brand. Um, and so all of these things that, um, you know, this shop, o- shop owner was saying that the brand was doing, they weren't communicating on their website. Uh-huh. So that was a disconnect there. So if we now have more brands coming forward and saying, oh, my gosh, I, I know that this is really important. The sentiment is that people actually want to see more from us. It's not that difficult for me to, you know, at least make a start and, and show that progress um, and then ultimately change and be like, okay, we're, we're going to actually tangibly do this. Again, there's always the, the, the risk of a brand 
saying what they think people want to hear. But I think people will quickly enough see through that and say, no, that's actually tangible change or that's not. And that's where these things like certain certifications that are, you know, if a brand's B Corp, for example, you know, you can see all the, you go to B Corp's profile on all things considered and see all the the retail brands that are B Corp certified. So... It's you know, and some will have more weight than others, and these these. So what's B Corp certification for? Like obviously, I know what it is, yes, but for people yep. listening, what is it? Yeah, so B Corp. Um, I'm not an expert. Yeah. <laughs> um, B Corporation is um, a really kind of stringent set of um, criteria that you have to go through. I think it takes maybe around about a year, maybe longer, yeah. to get B Corp certified, um, and it looks into all aspects of your business um, around how sustainable and ethical you are. Um, I really hope I'm not getting this super wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, we'll, we'll put a link to it. That yeah, we'll go and yeah. check it out. But it's, it's a really robust process compared to one that you can pay a hundred dollars a year and get a badge and put it on your, you know. So it's it's, it's, it's a, yeah, it's actually a process you have to go through. Like 100%, you, it, and yep. some people don't get it right. Like mm-hmm. you, you have to go. Th- yep. I know a bunch of clients that have gone through a pretty extensive process Correct. to get certified. Yep. And, so, and then there's also recertifying. They have to redo it yep. every year. So um, that's the thing for us. We see as an opportunity with these organisations like B Corp and other certifications um, to bring more consumer awareness around those because I think consumer don't know enough and they're like it's there's too many it's too overwhelming absolutely it is so we're sort of here to try and help a bit with that as well and and um help consumers learn more about what each of these is and what they what what they all are and what they do the impact they have and yeah yeah and you find the feedback loop um between like brands and consumers and, and yourself now is getting closer i think so like we um we're in the process of sort of creating our first version of our brand dashboard. So what are the insights we're going to show to brands about the sentiment we're capturing, demographics, genders, things like that. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we find brands are really open to hearing what it is that consumers are saying and, and what does this downvote mean, where is it coming from. So yeah. reasons for voting's coming. So I think that's going to help kind of bring it all together yeah. really nicely. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely been collaborative um, in terms of, you know, brands do take a down vote seriously. Like you have to register and create an account on All Things Considered to vote. It's not yeah. just something any anyone can go and undo. So that's just to obviously protect against bots and things like that as well and ensuring that all votes are verified and genuine. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, something that I think brands do take notice of, but I think it's still early stages, so they might think, oh, they might go away, but we're not going yeah, away. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, I think you're really brave. So I had an idea years ago that, like, for me, there was good recruiters and bad recruiters out there. And so I was like, how good would it be if there was a website out there where you could upvote and downvote recruiters based on your experience with them yeah. and hold them account, yeah. you know, keep them accountable? Because our industry, unfortunately, you know, has a bad name. Yeah. And so... And then I started building it and started doing it and holy shit, you have to be pretty brave to build a website like that. Mm-hmm. And so like, how did you get through that pain? Because it's like shopkeepers, right? Like mm-hmm. small to medium businesses yeah. and you're getting bad ratings or down votes, you know, yeah. that's pretty emotive, right? And especially designers who are putting yeah. their heart yeah. on the line. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where they have that opportunity to start to tell their unique story and yeah. we will, you know, carbon copy what they've said. So if a brand wants to update their profile on All Things Considered, they have to do it on their website first we don't do any backdoor like oh yeah we'll update that for you no no show us on your website and then once it's updated we'll update it for you so there's got to be that um that sort of safety and and trust and transparency element to it and trust and transparency are the two kind of key values for us and we've always wanted to ensure that that we are transparent about you know anything to do with our business um and how we get the information and you know i think there are already sites out there that do rate and grade brands. So I yep. think they're already sort of used to 
the sentiment of, you know, people can have an opinion and, and they can look into us and say, you know, this is what we think, we're rating this brand this way. Sort of no different to consumers saying, but I guess it's a bit scarier because it's a consumer, it's a real yeah. person, it's not just some entity that's saying you are this yeah. out of five. It's consumers, so it probably feels a bit more real potentially, um, but we don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because essentially the people, the kind of persona that's going to come on to All Things Considered and vote for a brand are the kind of people that are already tagging brands on social Social media, they're already attending yeah. rallies. They're already emailing brands, but you know that's pretty easy to get censored on all in all of those ways. So you know, email can be ignored. They can delete a comment on social media. Yes, it's there, but it's like it's never permanent. So yeah. this is a permanent stamp to say, yep, okay. And consumers can absolutely change their vote at any point in time if they think, oh no, actually, I've, I changed my mind about this brand. And over time, that's what we want to capture is more the the journey over time. You think 10 years time, the amount of data we would have collected about the trajectory of a brand, how many up or down votes they've had. Have they done something really impactful and released a, a really robust sustainability report that people resonated with and did that then result, you know? So yeah. those sorts of things, yeah, and just seeing that change over time. So with comments, when comments come right, because what scares me about as a business mm-hmm. with ratings and reviews is that I work in recruitment. It's quite emotional, right? Mm-hmm. Sometimes I have to say no to people and say, no, you don't have the right skills. and. Yep. And unfortunately, sometimes I see those people that have said no to in the most polite, humane way as possible, go on to Google and write a horrible, abusive review on me or tell an army because of that experience because they, you know, that. And so it it really scares me, reviews, because like I could do anything possible to make someone have a great experience, Mm -hmm. but still because they're still emotive about it, they can go off and just go on a tangent. How do, you, yeah. how do we solve that? Yeah, and it's hard because any review could be that that person's having a bad day and that yeah. doesn't reflect fairly on the business, so absolutely. And we're talking with brands about about that. So, you know, we've had one suggest to us it would be great if we could challenge a down vote yeah. and, and sort of respond to that in a way that says, I don't actually agree with this comment because we are producing what you're saying we're not yeah. and, get, and having that sort of two-sided conversation never be a one-way and then it's off, off to the brand to never be able to respond. But again, in startup land, we start very small. So yeah. we'll, we'll capture the comments, but they may not necessarily be public to start with until yeah. we figure out how do we do that in a way that's fair for everyone. And um, yeah, so it's it's not easy. And then you get into moderation and things like that. And we've talked about full-blown community and things like that. And then it's just sort of whether we do that or not and yeah. how, we, how we kind of, um, yeah, stagger it and, you know, do bit by bit. So where are you in the journey now? Yeah, so we are probably like 18 months to two years in. We are adding profiles and um, trying to just build awareness around the platform, really. And, you know, we've got two different types of users. We've got our lurkers that will use the site, educate themselves, and mm-hmm. then we've got the more activists. So we need these activists to help educate others, though. So yeah. it's, it is it is difficult in the sense that we're relying on people to help educate others. Yeah. It's not just like we've done the work. It's like we're actually requiring it's, it. There's a lot of engagement that's required to ensure that there's enough value on there, enough votes for people to go, okay, you know, yeah. that's I, I agree with that or, or not. So, yeah. So what should why should so Dom sitting over there um, on his phone right now, probably online shopping for a T-shirt, <laughs> why should he go to your platform and look like what are the certifications that he's looking for? Yeah, so it, it depends really on um, on what he's online shopping for. So, <laughs> you know, for example, um, a cotton T-shirt, mm-hmm. um, 
you know, cotton is one example. There's hemp. There's a lot of other f- fabrics and fibers. So it could be like, are there certain fabrics or fibers that are more um, less impactful and harmful on the planet than others? Yes, yeah. there are. So that that could be a, a good starting point on and trying to figure that out. Um, but I think just in general, in terms of certifications, like it's it's confusing. I think for everyone, yeah. which one is good and which one is bad. Yeah good and bad i mean you know better or worse you better or worse yeah so um we don't even have the answer to that ourselves mm-hmm. um but we're trying to help demystify that a little bit with actually just having the information out there allowing people to consume it see which brands are using you know gots cotton which is global organic textile standard cotton which goes through a pretty robust process to throughout the supply chain to ensure that it's organic right the way through yeah that's not easy to get so you know there are certain ones that you'll see on our platform probably have more upvotes and and there are certain brands using them so you can get a bit of a high level sense of okay so that looks like there's actually a bunch of brands that i know are like good boutique smaller new zealand based brands are focusing on that that fabric choice and that fiber choice which is inherently a lot more sustainable than new using synthetic fibers and the majority of them being polyester. So even if you're shopping on a website, look, what are what is the majority of, you know, fibers that I can see on these product pages that polyester all the time or is it cotton? And, you know, so like that's quite an easy one. Yeah. yeah. And even on our profiles, we, we tag, we say high use of synthetic fibers or high use of natural fibers. So you can get a sense to be like, what what's the primary kind of um, fiber choice of, yeah. for a particular brand? Yeah. And is part of your product evolution to be e-commerce as well for people to be able to buy the, from these suppliers? Or We never want to become somewhere that people have a direct link to shop. Yeah, That's not really the point for us. Um, I know um, some of the other platforms, that's part of their business model. So if you yeah. go onto the profile, you click through, they'll, they'll take a cut. But we don't think that that's actually that's kind of contradicts contradicts sustainable fashion in a way. We're not encouraging people to purchase. In fact, we list secondhand stores on our platform and you know allow those to be up and downvoted and yeah. and we're more around education. I think holistically around the whole whole thing, yeah. the whole industry, not just a brand and then shop. It's like let's look at the whole industry as as in the interconnected web that it is. Yeah. Um. And for us as well, you know, we've got vision to show more of the lineage part of the supply chain. Yeah. Um. So that would be really interesting to say who has visibility in their tier one to tier four supply chain. You know. And how, who, how, how do you commercialize it then? Like, how do you make money from it? Yeah. So for us, it will be eventual brand subscription. So yeah. to access these dashboards and the insights that we're collating for them. Um, yeah, it will be brands that pay. Consumers will never pay. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, and just based on again that size of business, because again you can't charge a small one the same as you would an H and M. That's where the size of business also becomes the structure for our pricing model. Yeah, yeah cool. Have you? Do you know Simon Pound? Are you going to go on his podcast? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I do. Yep, yeah. Yeah. You, you and him have a great conversation. <laughs> I know. Yes, because he's got fashion in his background too. So. Yeah. Yeah. Have you yeah. seen their new VC fund that they've got now for brand companies? I just saw it yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. Very so interesting. So cool. So yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, you know, like making way for yeah. companies of all ilk now to be better and grow, like to have, have money, is yes. fantastic because yeah. it's too long been you know tech companies just been able to write on a napkin, you know, mm-hmm. hey, we're gonna have this hockey stick growth, give yeah, us yeah, some yeah. money. And yeah. so, yeah. 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 So, I mean, this is this is really cool, right? And so, like, how can people get the message out? How can, can the community learn more about this? Obviously, go to your website and have a look. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that they should be doing? Is there, like, if people are interested in this space, is there an education piece that they can look into? Yeah, I think there's... Um... <laughs> 
once your Instagram algorithm starts serving you up this stuff, <laughs> you know, you just have to kind of once you start, it will it will come, and you'll and you'll have more sustainable fashion stuff kind of coming to the forefront. I think find people that you enjoy learning from. Yeah, I think is the main thing. It's about again about bite sized, and because it's just it can be incredibly overwhelming. So it's got to be something that's a you know easily to digest, um, easy to digest in terms of like bits of information and actionable things you can do. Ethically Kate is a fantastic one. I don't know if you're um, familiar yeah, with her, but no. she's got a fantastic following and she's all about sustainable living and, and um, she wrote a book as well. So she's one that I absolutely love to follow. Um, so, yeah, finding those people that um, influence you and relate and you can relate with personally because yeah. I think it's it's there's nothing worse than feeling judged yeah. about not doing enough. Um, so that's definitely not, you know, what the message I'm trying to get out, get out is that, you know, you're terrible for not doing enough or, you know, it's like every, every it's a, it's a journey and everyone, you just need to start basically and, and, you know, find something small that you might be able to change, you know, whether that's in your personal life using a reusable coffee cup, yeah, you know, that's going to save thousands of single use over your life. So it's just little tensey things that might inconvenience you slightly, but the impact they have in other areas is, is, in my opinion, greater than the inconvenience. So we don't have to go from this podcast straight to complete minimalism? No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. And, you know, um, I'm not a, not a minimalist by any means, you know. Yeah. I think we all sort of work towards it. But, um, yeah, I think it's just really a, a process. And we, we need to be kind to ourselves and think, you know, celebrate the small things we do do. Yeah. Um, instead of being like, oh, there's so much I, you know, I should do and get overwhelmed and not start. It's like just do something little. And yeah. if you're not sure, then, then you know, use online resources or, or follow certain people to, to get that insight. Yeah. yeah, and I think especially like like you are helping to create brands to be more accountable. Mm-hmm. I think we can't consciously do that unless we're keeping ourselves accountable, mm-hmm. you know, a little yeah. bit as well. Mm-hmm. And so like the the earth is finite, you know, yeah. we have an yes. opportunity to create length out of it for our future generations yeah. and it starts with individual choices that we make day to day. It does, so, yeah. What do you think about the, are you involved in the sort of, you know, sustainability green tech movement and what do you think else opportunities out there that people could be looking at? Yeah. In, in terms of what, sorry? In terms of sustainability products. So we, mm. like a few people have come on this podcast and mm. said, you know, like, this is this is such an area of growth for us, you know. Like Vaughan, who was on the podcast last mm-hmm. night, talked a lot about. He said that he feels like we've gone and gone past the point of iteration of just traditional software products that we're trying to disrupt now, and he thinks that we're going to be building more physical products in the future to help with sustainability and to help mm-hmm. with the earth and the likes. And so I feel like it's now getting to the point where people are aware of we can actually build good products to help change the world now. Mm. And so this movement is is starting to take off. People are really, you know, getting behind it now. It's starting yeah. to become a, an actual industry that we can make money from as well. So you can yes. go there. You don't have to do it for free and yeah. volunteer, but you can get paid, you know, yeah. probably not the top amount, but, you know, yeah. Yeah. you can get paid at least. Yeah. What do you think, like, what else can the community, is there anything else that you've looked at or is there any other spaces that you think, oh, yeah, this is something we need to look at as well? Loaded question there. Yeah, it's quite quite a hard one. Um, if I think back to, you know, when I was doing my first business, that didn't have any sustainability element to it. And I remember yeah. thinking, if I wasn't doing this, what would I be doing? And I'm a really avid, like, recycler. And people think, you know, recycling can be problematic. It's the ambulance at the end of the cliff, yeah. bottom of the cliff, things like that. And, yeah, it's not the perfect solution, but it's at least an interim solution until we have regulation phase out, single-use yeah. plastic, for example. Um, so it's, like, it's got to be something to do with sustainability. So I think... Um, 
the the awareness and you know there's a bit of an awakening I think happening around it um in terms of like you know physical products or examples of that I wouldn't know exactly those yeah. myself but do, do, do you know so method, I'm pointing to my method recycling bins over there I did, I'm like looking at them as I'm talking to you yeah. yeah so David do you know what they're, they're doing now yes, so, yes yeah like yeah, some, yeah. they're using technology now to like yeah. weigh bins and things yeah. so that you get an alert if you've got too much in your bin yes. and, and yeah. I, I think like I heard a story that they caught someone who threw out all this binded information just straight into the normal beyond not the recycling bin yeah. and yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. And I think that's where um technology will help so much in terms of these things. And I think data and measurement and us actually being able to measure that impact is quite an important thing. Yeah. Regardless of what sort of area it's in. I just want to talk quickly, um, because when you said about conscious sort of you mentioned the word conscious before and it reminded me. Um so our our business name, All Things Considered, yeah. it's very st- strategic, that name. So all is all, all encompassing. Obviously, yeah. we don't want to limit ourselves to one vertical. So I don't want people to think All Things Considered is just a fashion platform. Yeah. It's likely to get a lot wider over time. But the word considered or considerate is something that's really big for us. Um, and if we think about, you know, the typical term conscious consumer, yeah. we want to transcend to a considerate consumer. Because, you know, you've got sort of an unconscious consumer that absolutely knows nothing. You've got someone subconscious that might be aware of that something's happening. There's a bit of like chatter, but they don't really know what it is. Then you've got conscious, which we talked about, which is is around, you know, I consciously know that this isn't good. Yeah. But I also might consciously choose not to do anything about it. Yeah. Whereas considerate is the level above that. So consciously know that this isn't good, but I also am considerate enough to know that I should do something about it. Yeah. So that's sort of where the the sort of like, you know, you persona of who would use our platform sort of is like they're ready to take that action. Um, or they've started a little bit, but they don't really quite know and they're ready to kind of really activate that. So, yeah, it's just reminded me of that. <laughs> what do you think New Zealanders are in terms of their consideration of the, you know, the planet and the environment? I think it's a mixture. I mean, you know, I was walking in the park the other day and I'm picking up plastic bottles that people have left there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's that's going to be everywhere. But um, I think more with climate change really on our doorstep now, it's it's pretty undeniable. Yeah. So I'm hoping that as absolutely terrible as these recent events are, yeah. I think it will help bring that that awareness. And I hope people don't just forget about it tomorrow. I don't think they will. But it's, yeah, I think people should be a bit worried <laughs> yeah. and, and um, yeah, just take some personal accountability for your own. You can't control anything else, but what you, what, what is within your control that you can do something about? Yeah. 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 I, I look, my Nirvana, my, you know, fantasy, um, as sad as this, this sounds that this is my fantasy, <laughs> is that like we change the regulations in government so that we have a four day work week and that mm. one day a week that we get to pro bono, get paid for it from our companies but we get to give back to something that we mm. feel passionate about and mm. so I think if we can if people can do this type of like work volunteer be like do something that they're passionate about and be paid for it mm-hmm. we're going to see mass adoption 100% if we yeah. you know if people are just doing it because they've got time or the extra money and the likes mm-hmm. th- this, this is the problem most people who like a lot of people in New Zealand who are hard on their luck at the moment they look at green tech and they look at these things as a luxury that are in 
mm. boom times that we can do. Mm. They're not realizing that hey, there's a lot of like there's a lot of change that needs to happen, and that we can all get behind this, and we can we can all do this by simple things like going to a website and looking at who's mm. more considerate with the materials that they're using, right? Rather than thinking that it's oh, I have to do this and spend this money, or I have to yeah. turn my lights off at night time, or I have yeah. to do this. Yeah. And so there's so yeah. much that we can do, and it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank you. Hearing yeah. that you know there's people like you and John out there you know, making making us more knowledgeable in this space and creating a dialogue and creating mm. a community and, mm. you know, evidently giving brands the opportunity to reflect and look at themselves as well. Mm-hmm. So I guess, like, um, I always wrap the podcast up with, you know, a final question, mm. and if you've heard any of the podcasts, you, you might know. But what makes you happy? Um, that's a, a tough question as that changes. Um why has that changed? I guess anything that happens personally in our lives impacts business yeah. and vice versa. So that's always a, a tricky one when there's, you know, personal things. So I think that my relationship with happiness um, has changed a lot in the last couple of years in particular. Um, but, yeah, I think feeling content or feeling like you're in the right place. Um, you know, and happiness is a journey, right? It's not a destination. So oh, it's kind preach. of like... Yeah. And and I've heard something that's like life is fifty percent good, fifty fifty percent bad. Yeah. So if you're going through something that's bad, you at least know that the good's coming. Yeah. And if you're in the good, you're like, oh, what's what's coming next? You know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I guess just realizing that whatever happens in your life is is as shit as it might be, there to teach you something or or have a learning. And I think I was listening to a um uh, like a Stephen Bartlett podcast, Diary yeah. CEO. And um, he was talking about like the eraser theory. I've yeah. never heard of yeah. that. And yeah. it's like if you could erase something really terrible that has happened to you, but it meant that you lost all of the knowledge and the insight and, and who you were today, would you do it? And 99% of people say no. Well, no. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about, you know. So it's like when you go through something that's quite life-changing and, and then you're like, okay, well, had you know would I would I erase that like as difficult as that was yes or no like it's it's a hard question obviously it's harder to answer when it's very raw yeah but at the same time no you wouldn't I wouldn't be the man that I am right now I wouldn't be like happy with myself if mm. I hadn't have gone through a lot of pain in my life and mm. made a lot of changes to be the person that makes me happy about myself exactly. right now yeah. and so I'm a big believer and there is no People pursue happiness mm. and I think that you shouldn't pursue happiness. Like life's finite. It's good 50%. Mm. It's bad 50%. We're all going to die one day. Mm-hmm. We get the opportunity every day to wake up and be happy. Exactly. We get the, every, the choice every day to wake up and say, it doesn't matter what happens today. I'm just going to be happy and yeah. I'm going to push through it. Yeah. But we also get the opportunity to say, today's not a good day. Yeah, yeah. And tomorrow is it going to be okay. Yeah, exactly. you know? And so, yeah, I think you've got a pretty good lens on what happiness is there. And it's it's nice to hear that. That was the first time someone's actually gone to that level for that question. Yeah. So thank you. Well, happiness is a choice, mm. really, ultimately it is. You know, we, we can choose to be happy and, and um, productive in our lives or we can, you know, I'm thinking again about this example of, I can't do anything to impact. Well, you can. It's like it's a little bit about mindset and yeah. that, that's a choice. So it's like, yeah, same with happiness. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So yet again, what was the name? What was your website? Yeah, so um, all things considered, alltc.co, A-L-L-T-C.co is our website. Yeah. Excellent. Oh, thanks so much for coming on the Thank podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. I appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you. <laughs> cool. As I finish this podcast and Andre has walked out the door, I'm looking now at my merch rack and thinking, 
I feel a little bit seen you know, that I've been contributing to the society of waste. And so I that podcast really made me think, I'm not going to lie. You know, I, I got Andrew on because I thought she had something interesting to tell in terms of what she's building, what she's doing, who she is, how she made me think. And so I hope she made you think as well. And I hope this podcast makes you think enough to send it to people that you really like and respect, to send it to people that need to see and shit and hear this. Please share it on any platform that you're watching or looking at um, or listening to even. We, we're trying to build the audience so that we can bring in more and more interesting guests to be able to help give back to the community because we fucking love startups. Thank you. This podcast is produced by John Otaka from Empire Firms.